Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, you've brought each one of us here this morning for a reason. Every one of us maybe needs to hear something different. And one of the beauties about Scripture is that even though we all need to hear something different, it can teach us exactly what we need to know. So I ask now that you would silence all of the distractions in our minds, all of the worries, all of the sadness. Um, Silence all of the things we're even excited for to do this week. And just allow us to be fully present to your word now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So a week ago today, um, I don't know if any of you know, except for maybe one or two of you, but one of the things that I've done recently in my life in the last month and month and a half or so is I started taking things out of my phone that were distracting me from doing the more important things of life. So most of us have smartphones now. What I did is I got rid of the email app so that I didn't have to keep checking constantly throughout the day. I got rid of most social media apps on my phone with the exception of Instagram, and that's because I'm trying to post stuff on there, but I I haven't even done that in the last several weeks very very often. But one of the things I'm doing is just trying to get rid of all of these things that are distracting me from really just even living my life. And one of the things that we see, especially, they call it an addiction to to social media, and, and it functions in some ways like an addiction to a drug, but also a little bit different because of the different things that it does. But a lot of times we just go onto our phones and we just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and without knowing it, so much time passes by and we realize, man, like I should not have been on this phone for this long a period of time. So one of the things I've done is I've taken away email, which is why if you've tried to email me and it takes hours or even a day to get back to you, it's because it's, I don't have it as conveniently at my fingertips as I used to. So because of that, a week ago today, it was Saturday evening, and I decided to check my email probably around 8 o'clock at night, and I received an email from the treasurer of my first church. Now, one of the first churches I pastored, it was a two-church district in Brawley and El Centro. And so the Brawley treasurer emailed me and he said, hey, um, I haven't talked to him in, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years. But he said, listen, Rosemary, which used to be our head elder at the church, um, she's on hospice care and she's not doing well and she would love to hear from you. Here's her phone number. Now, for those of you who don't know, hospice care is what they call basically that time from the time you're diagnosed with a terminal illness or just terminal time to live, and you just kind of write out your life in what we call hospice care. And so I, I got this email, and it was 8, 8 o'clock, 8.30 at night, and I know that she had moved to Florida, so I couldn't call her. So the first thing I did in the morning was call her. And it's just one of those moments filled with such deep sadness. Some of you might be saying, like, well, she was just the head elder of your church, but she was so much more than that. I mean, we would go to dinner. She didn't really have family around, so we would go to dinner. We would spend time together. We would just hang out. We literally just enjoyed being with each other. And I remember early on, she was diagnosed. I don't know exactly what it was, but she had these little, like, growths on her, on her kidney or liver. I can't remember which one. And the doctors basically said, like, you don't have much time to live. Thankfully, it ended up not being that worst-case scenario. They were still growths, but she was still going to live. And now, you know, nine years later, she's kind of at the end of her life for reals this time. And I just remember, like, calling her and just reminiscing and speaking with her and just thinking to myself, like, she knows this is happening. She's at peace because she has faith. But it's still this sense of deep sorrow and loss for myself. And it's interesting because life, the moment you're born, you kind of begin to die. And I know we don't like to talk about it. Our society doesn't do well with death. 
And it's interesting because in that deep moment of, of sadness for me, like, I don't know, how many hours later, like maybe 14, 15 hours later, we now have our little girl born into this life. And so there is this tension in our lives of the moments of suffering and sadness and loss and moments of joy and happiness overfilling with the Spirit of God. And so we as Christians are learning to live within this tension of life and death. And so a part of this teaching this morning is I want to look at John chapter 12. And as we're making our way towards Easter Sunday, as we're making our way towards the Resurrection Sunday, we're getting these glimpses and snapshots of the life of Jesus because the life of Jesus teaches us how we can navigate the life whether we're on the beginning spectrum of life or near the end of the spectrum of life, because Jesus teaches us the best way to live. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open to John chapter 12. On my notes, as the heading for this part, it says, A picture of true discipleship and the deepest devotion. So I just want to begin with verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, like the chapter before. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard. Doesn't nard sound like a bad thing, like something that would smell bad? So I just thought it was funny. She anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. And so I want to begin by saying this about this. She gave her very best to God, and she didn't let others stop her. She didn't let the judgment of others, she didn't let what other people were going to say about her. She gave her very best to God. And what the Bible tells us is that this amount of nard that she had was equivalent to the price of what someone would make in one year's salary. Now think about that for a second. For those of you who work or have worked, think about how much you make in a year. And now ask yourself, would you... Give all that you have for that one year to Jesus. Some of you are like, oh, that was Bible times. He's not asking us to do that anymore. But see, that's how powerful and profound this story is. This woman, in a sense, took the equivalent of an entire year's salary to buy this thing, this literally this anointing oil or this nard, so that she could anoint Jesus' feet. And what's so powerful about this, like I, I was thinking about this as I was reading this story and preparing this week, and I thought to myself, you know, if I had one year of my salary, like, you know, I could probably buy a kind of nice car. Like, I probably couldn't get, like, the really nice BMWs or Mercedes, but I could probably get one of those low-end Mercedes that still look pretty good. You know, I thought to myself, if I, if I saved up one whole year's salary, I could probably take a couple months off and travel around the world for maybe three, three months. I don't know how long that would take if we, we kind of penny-pinch our way through the world. And so I want to ask you this, because money we know. We know, like, we know how much money we have in our bank accounts. Some of us will look at our bank accounts daily to make sure that we're not getting charged fees, making sure our card hasn't been hacked. Like, we know money, and it's something that is super important for us. And so the question is, if money was what you were going to give God, would you be able to sacrifice literally an entire year's of your salary? What's even more important than that, it's not just about the amount of money. 
it's in a sense what Mary was saying is, I am going to take one year's worth of sustenance, of financial resources in my life, and I am going to buy this thing to devote to Jesus. Now, if you're visiting with us, this is not a sermon asking you to give tithes and offering. It's always so much deeper than that. What we find in the story of Mary is that she chose to stop at nothing to give her very best to Jesus because she knew who Jesus was. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says this, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man, when you worry, when you worry and are afraid of what other people are going to say about you, when you worry and you trust the opinions of other people, especially as it comes to your faith in Jesus, it's going to lay a snare. A snare is like a trap. And as often as you keep giving other people's opinion over yours, as more important, you're going to continue to feel like you are in this trap, in this snare. But the proverb tells us, but those who put their trust in the Lord is safe. Now that is what Mary was doing in this story that she was willing to go full tilt, everything that her whole life's existence for that year was willing to give to Jesus. You know, have you ever been at a worship service? So I said last, I think last Thursday, a week ago, the previous week, um, we were at a worship conference, not a worship conference, a leadership conference, but part of this leadership conference, you have like 3,000 people in this building, and they have these really great musicians who are leading out in worship, and a lot of the people in there, they begin to raise their hands up in public, and it's like one of those things where it's like, I kind of sense that I want to do that, not because it's an emotional thing, but it's like I think about what the song and the message is saying, and I just want to say like, God, everything I have, like I'm opening up to you, but guess how many times I've done that before? Never. <laughs> I think the most I've ever done is like, you know, cause, because we worry, you know, as a Seventh-day Adventist community, we don't do that. I mean, we barely even stand up sometimes because we like to be comfortable when we worship. But you see, a lot of times, you know, we, we want to express our faith in certain ways, and, and this goes beyond how we worship. But there's so many times that we want to express our faith in different ways, but we're a little bit embarrassed or we're a little bit shy. And instead of just going full on out and living our lives in such a way that you are giving honor and glory to God by everything you do, a lot of times we pull back. And what ends up happening when we pull back is not only do we, do we keep or reject the praise of God, but it also keeps us from living into the flow and in the harmony of what God wants for each one of us. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says this, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Diedrich Bonhoeffer is the man who literally laid down his life to fight against the Third Reich in, in World War II's Germany. This was a man who says the words, when Christ calls a man, he bids you Come and die. This was a man who knew that the path of deepest devotion is one where he would stop at nothing so that he could fight for the cause of Christ and that he could live his life in the flow and in the harmony of this deepest devotion. But I think for many of us, if we're honest, so much of how we live our life of faith is lived out of the surplus. So think about this, when we earn a living and we have a paycheck, a lot of times what people will do is they will give their tithes and offerings 
oftentimes when they've already spent what they have to or bought the things they needed to, and if there was something left over, if there was a little bit of a surplus, then we're going to give. But I wonder what it would look like for us is if, if we gave from the very beginning the very best that we have. So yeah, I think it starts with our finances because finances are that thing that we think if we have enough finances, we're going to have enough safety and security. I mean, that's what most of us do. If our job doesn't pay us enough to provide, we go and we find another job. And so we have, we've made this idol of the finances that we have. But I think it's about so much more than that. And that's what this story teaches us. How much of your heart, your mind, and your soul are you giving to Christ in relationship with him? Are you giving only part of yourself or are you giving all? Are you giving all of yourself or are you worried about what other people are saying? So I want to look at a second story in Luke chapter 21. Still the same character, not the same characters, but um, Luke chapter 21 verse 1. Luke 21 verse 1. And again, I don't want you to think about this as money. I want you to think about this as devotion. Verse 1, he looked up and saw rich people putting their gifts in the treasury. He also saw a poor woman put in two small copper coins. Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor woman has put in more than all of these rich people, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in all that she had to live on. And again, we come back to this, how much of your life? How much of your safety and how much of your security are you truly giving to this relationship with Jesus? Or are you holding on to things because you think that you know better than Jesus does? The title of this sermon is The Path of the Deepest Devotion because I think there is only one path that leads us to this deepest devotion. And that is when we surrender all that we are and we give our entire lives to Jesus. And there's other ways to live this faith. But I think that's the best, and the scriptures will tell us that. And so what we find in this story in Luke chapter 21 is that people often give. They live their religious life in such a way, and a lot of times people will live their religious life just trying to show off. That's why we often hear people pray really well, or people who give, or people who who give to, you know, and we let other people know, well, this is how much I'm giving this year. But this woman that the story tells us in Luke 21 It's a woman who has nothing, and the very little that she has, she is willing to trust God with. You see, when you give your life to Jesus, you're asking Jesus to take the steering wheel of your life, and you're trusting that wherever Jesus leads you will be exactly the way you have to go. I I was listening to this speaker at this leadership conference and, and I almost didn't catch what he was saying. I, I think I was on my phone trying to do some work. I was trying to get some stuff done before it was due for the bulletin that day, and I wasn't really paying attention. But then he said something that struck me. He says, I go to my therapist, and he tells me this, that until your, until your view of the abundant life includes a child with Down syndrome and a wife with an autoimmune disease, you will never experience the abundant life. So let me pause there for a second. Until your life, until your view of the abundant life includes a child with Down syndrome and a wife with an autoimmune disease, you will never experience the abundant life. 
You know, and I stopped and I thought about that. And I said, man, you know, when we entrust our lives, when you entrust your life to Jesus, you're saying, whatever, whatever path you're going to take me down, God, like I know we're going to try to take the wheel a million times in a day. And I know that we are, and God, because God gives us freedom, he's going to let us steer the car of our lives into places that he knew we probably shouldn't go. And sometimes God will let you experience pain and suffering in your life because he knows that sometimes the best and fertile soil for learning is at the tail end of suffering and pain. I'm not saying that God is making you do those things. I'm saying that sometimes our decisions lead us to that and God knows that he can pull us out of those moments. The stories of scripture is this constant time of uncertainty and things not going the way we want them to and God using those moments to lead us forward in a life of, pure, of more joy and happiness and peace. And so this woman who gives her two copper coins, or, or another Bible translation might say two mites, she's giving everything and entrusting her life to Jesus. And the question that I ask for you this morning is, are you and have you surrendered and entrusted your life to Jesus? You know, the funny thing about that is we think that if we just surrender our life to Jesus and we trust him, then we think our life's going to be boring or we think we're not going to be able to do fun things or, or we think God is going to make us all go. I mean, I guess this joke doesn't work in Seventh-day Adventist communities, but we think that God's going to make us join a commune and be like monks and nuns or something where life is going to be terrible. And so oftentimes people will refrain from even baptism because they think like, no, there's, there's still a lot of kind of bad stuff that I want to do before I go into the baptismal waters and then try harder to be a better Christian. And we do that because that's what we think. But the reality, friends, is the path towards the best kind of life is one that follows the way of Jesus. It isn't always easy in fact, oftentimes it's hard to follow the way of Jesus because, I mean, the one example I like to give is forgiveness. To forgive someone that has hurt you is probably the hardest thing we ever have to do as human beings. And the way of Jesus, Jesus says, like, forgive others as I have forgiven you. It wasn't even like Jesus' most powerful teaching. Jesus has said, basically says, what you've seen me do, do that with others, especially those who don't deserve it. And Mary, in this story, understood that she wants to give her life to the one who gives life in return. So let's, let's finish off this story. So we're going back to John chapter 12. Let's finish this off. Verse 3. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard. <laughs> I think that's funny. Anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples... The one who was about to betray him said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he is the one who kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you but you do not always have me. And so let's pause there for a second. Judas was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Judas was one of the 12 that for all intents and purposes spent every single day, every moment with Jesus with the exception of the time that Jesus sends them out two by two. Judas was a part of the inner circle. In some ways we could say that Judas had a sort of faith in Jesus. But the faith that Judas seemed to have in Jesus was one that was self-serving. 
The reason that, that Judas was associated with Jesus is because he wanted to see, what can I get out of this? What is Jesus going to give me to make my life better? What am I, and, and, and what we find and what the Bible tells us is that Judas was basically just taking some of the money because he was the treasurer. And yet he was still a disciple of Jesus. In some way, he must have believed at least some part of who Jesus says he was. Otherwise, he wouldn't have killed himself after Jesus was killed. He wouldn't have felt remorse. He wouldn't have felt bad if he didn't at least believe to some degree that Jesus might have been the one he said he was. But what is so telling about this story, and and this is something we miss all the time, Jesus says, leave her alone. She bought this in preparation for my burial. Mary, we could say, was also a disciple of Jesus. She wasn't one of the 12, right? It, was, it would have been scandalous for a woman to let down her hair in the first century. It would have sometimes been scandalous for women to be friends with men or speak to men in public. And yet we know that Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Jesus, the disciples were all really good friends. And what we find here is that in a way, Mary was the only one who actually believed what Jesus said about himself. Jesus says, she bought this for the day of my burial. She believed that what Jesus said, that he would lay lay his life down and die for the sins of the world. She believed that what he said was true. Meanwhile, the other 12 disciples, when Jesus died, they basically gave up hope. And they said, well, I guess, we, we, what is that expression? We tied our horse to the wrong, we tied our cart to the wrong pony. I mean, that's what the Bible tells us. These 12 men, disciples, who had been following Jesus, totally missed the point of who Jesus was. But this woman, Mary, who many would have thought was scandalous, she understood the path of deepest devotion was the path that leads to Christ. She was the same Martha, and I won't won't have you read your Bibles in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, but it is the same Martha about whom Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Remember the story, Mary and Martha. Martha is a sister of Mary. Martha is cleaning and serving and cooking and making sure that the house is ready for Jesus. And on the other hand, Mary, she comes and sits at the feet of Jesus and is listening to Jesus. Like she's literally just spending time with Jesus. And Martha tells Jesus, which is so awkward, I think, tell her to help me. Tell her to do her due diligence. Tell her to, you know, take her place in this house and do the work of a woman, in a sense, is what she was saying. And Jesus says, hey, 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 she has chosen the best thing, sitting at my feet. You see, when you think about your life, are you so busy trying to justify your own worth in this world? Are you so busy trying to live a life that you think is the life that you want to live? Or are you orienting your life towards following the path of Jesus and to having this relationship with Christ in a way where you know That all you have, all you need, will be taken care of. And so there's two types of followers of Jesus. There's the Judas Iscariot model of following Jesus, where you only follow Jesus because you're going to get something out of it. Maybe you're not going to get money out of it, but maybe you think you're going to get something out of following Jesus. Maybe a a position of power. Maybe you you follow Jesus because you want to just make sure you get into heaven. I don't know what it is. But we all follow Jesus for a different reason. So are you like Judas Iscariot? Maybe you're not selling Jesus out, but you're like, I want to get something out of this. Or are you more like a Mary, an unlikely disciple in the first century who seemed to always get it right? She wasn't following Jesus because she wanted to get something out of him. She followed Jesus because she was continually trying to give to Jesus 
so much so that she would take something, a one-year salary, to save up that money and be able to anoint the feet of Jesus and then clean his feet with her hair. Here's what's interesting about that. This smell of nard is probably even sm smells more than the thing that the kids have on their hands. That smell would have been on Jesus at his crucifixion. Think about that for a second. A woman disciple in the first century would have been the only one who truly understood. And who was at the tomb the day of the resurrection? Mary. You know, so we learn so much from an unlikely person. And this is why I truly believe that the Bible, what it says is true. You see, a lot of times people will say, well, the Bible can't possibly be true. But my thing is like, no, if you really stop and look and read the Bible, you know that it is true because it actually teaches us things in ways that the first century readers would have just rejected outright. A woman disciple? They're not even allowed to testify in court. They're not allowed to owe land. They're, they, they're not even allowed to let their hair down in public. And yet the Bible writers, especially Jesus, says, yeah, but, but she was the only one that got it right. And so there's a way that you can live your life where you think you're following Jesus, like Judas, and you're just being a self-serving Christian. Or you can live a life of faith that is like Mary, the one who gets it right, and you follow the path of the deepest devotion. And Jesus says about Mary, she has chosen the most important thing, and it will not be taken away from her. And so as I leave you this morning, as you learn and grow and continue to develop your own life of faith, will you choose the path of Mary, or will you choose the path of selfishness and Judas? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we confess and believe to be true that you are the way, the truth, and the life. But so many times we try to carve our own path in life. So it's our prayer now that you would teach us to follow in your footsteps. That you would literally be the light that guides us moving forward. Father, because we don't want to miss out on the life that you have created for us and the blessing you've given us, but we also don't want to miss out on being able to worship and honor and glorify you. My prayer is for my friends who are here this morning, that they would choose the path of the deepest devotion that leads only to you, that they would live in harmony with you for all eternity. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live I surrender all I surrender